Let's just take a moment to bow together in prayer. Our great God in heaven, we bow in your presence this afternoon. And we would give thanks for the wonderful thoughts you have given us of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that you have given it to us to know him to know the fullness of God in his face. Our God, we ask that with the weighty topic before us this afternoon, that you would show yourself to be all-sufficient in everything you are and everything you give yourself to us in. We pray that the sufficiency would indeed be of God for all of our lives and that we would be urged along to know you in a way that transforms us and equips us and changes us radically so that we would no longer toy with the world, no longer be caught up with its snares, but that we would be caught up with a vision of something higher and loftier that is the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that will be ours for all of eternity. Our God, we ask for your blessing on the word spoken, on the word read. Our God, prove yourself to be all-sufficient this afternoon for every single soul in this meeting. We ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. Just for the sake of transparency, uh, my topic this afternoon is what it means to know God. And I don't just mean him in terms of salvation. I, I mean knowing God in terms of intimate relationship with him. Where nobody can really understand the depth of intimacy that we share with our God where we alone understand what we have seen of his glory. A man should not dare to take up this topic unless he has been in the sanctuary himself because this topic will either transform us or it will harden us. So profound is the idea of knowing God that if we do not respond positively, we will respond negatively because we cannot remain neutral when it comes to a God who has given himself to us. So my burden today is to take up the knowledge of God, and we will begin reading in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 1. If I am bold in my speaking, it is only because I am speaking to myself, and only because I am speaking out of burden for the conditions I see in Christendom at large. Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people and go from them, for they are all adulterers, an assembly of treacherous men, and they bend their tongues like their bow for lies but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. 
For they proceed from evil to evil, and this is the culmination of their evil. And they do not know me, says the Lord. He's describing a condition. They do not know me. Continue in verse number four. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust ye not in any brother. For every brother will utterly supplant, and every neighbor will walk with slanders. And they will deceive every one his neighbor, and will not speak the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies, and weary themselves to commit iniquity. Thine habitation is in the midst of deceit. And here we have a greater evil. Through deceit they refuse to know me. Jeremiah does not mince words. When it comes to describing the evil of his day and the decline of his generation of God's people, he cuts right to the chase and he sums it up by saying this. If I were to sum up their greatest and their most desperate condition, it would be this. They do not know God. But he describes something further and he says, They refuse to know me. And there God's heart is seen grieving that the people he purchased by blood have rejected him. They had the religion. They had the form. But they didn't know God. So Jeremiah comes and he declares the word of the Lord in verse number 23. And he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight says the Lord. He's bringing them to a vision of something that is higher than themselves. He says, don't boast in wisdom, your philosophy. Don't boast in strength and your methods. Don't boast in your riches and your means. If you have one supreme goal in your life, he says, may it be this. That you in your deepest heart would understand God in all of his fullness. That you would understand him and know him in a personal way. We understand his being. He understands and knows me. We understand his name. He says that I am Yahweh. We understand what he does. He exercises loving kindness, justice, and Righteousness in all the earth. But I love the culmination of the text. Because it says, I want you to know that I do these things for this reason. These are the things that I delight in. You know what God is doing with every individual? He wants to give them a vision of knowing his heart. That is the only life that is worth living. 
What this passage does for me is it declares for me the primacy of knowing God. I almost wish that I were more honest with myself in my own struggles with sin. Because something I have discovered over the past number of weeks and months is that any assessment I have given to my own struggles is surface level. It's not about the system that we follow. It's not about the programs we employ. That's not where the problem lies. The problem is we're idolaters at heart. The problem is we have no idea who God is. We have no idea what it is to absolutely be crushed at the thought of knowing him. And more than that, we have no idea what it is to spend time in his presence at large. If we are to fix any problem for this generation, let's stop fixing the surface issues. Let's just say it outright. Our problem is that we are idolaters in our hearts. I say that to my If there is one problem to fix, it is our view of God. If there is one thing to pursue, it is knowing him. And so what I want to do today is is simple. Having this idea in our minds that we must know him above all things, that this is our supreme delight and our supreme desire. I want to take you to Psalm 27. And Psalm 27 presents a paradigm for us of what it means to know God. It shows the heart throb of a person whose greatest grief is that he does not know God as he ought to. Let me qualify my statements before I go any further. Anything I say of knowing God, we must look at it through New Testament eyes. I find it interesting that Jeremiah says, If any man will glory in something, let him glory in this sole thing that he understands and knows God. In the New Testament, we have a parallel, but it's a little bit different. It's a little bit more advanced. And Paul says, God forbid that I should glory in anything save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul learned the secret of what it is to know God. He learned everything he knew of God. Not through some vague religion, not through Judaism as such, but he learned to see the glory of God in Christ. In Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 The devil is blinding the minds of unbelievers so that they may not see the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And when God would reveal to us the knowledge of the glory of God, it's only in the face of Jesus Christ. So anything I say about knowing God as such, though we are looking at the New Testament, that has reached its fullness in a greater glory in the new. And unless we learn to see God in Christ, we will not learn to see God at all. I'm always thankful when Brother Mason says these words. The only God you will ever see is Jesus Christ. God is invisible. But God has entered into flesh so that we may know him. 
Psalm 27 presents to us a paradigm for knowing God. Let's read the psalm together. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me to devour my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine eye, my head be lifted up above mine enemies, round about me, Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said unto you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not put your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty. I would have despaired, I would have fainted, unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Verses... One to three, I see very, very simply these thoughts that we must know God through suffering. We must know God through suffering. He begins by declaring something objective about what he knows of the living God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. He defends my life. You see, David had learned something so profound of God that nothing in his life circumstances could change what he understood God to be. I think of Hebrews chapter 11 where it says, without faith it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you know why men like Abraham survived the fiery trial? It is because they realized that regardless of what they felt, regardless of what they saw in their circumstances, they settled for this idea. God is who he is. Period. 
God is. He is my light. He is my salvation. He is my defender. And what faith does is it says, even though I do not see all of this in the circumstances, even though I don't understand this in my mind, it's not about me anymore. It's about the fact that God is who he is apart from what I think him to be. And so he remains steadfast. The psalmist says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Unless we have a God who is who he is, apart from our feelings, we will have no God at all. The Lord is my light and my salvation. I think of that poem where it speaks of two sets of footprints in the sand. And as the person is at the end of their journey and they look to the Lord Jesus and they say, Lord, you remember that difficulty I went through? There's only one set of footprints there. Why did you leave me? Then the Lord turns and he says, I didn't leave you. That was when I carried you. (laughs) That is the only way life can be lived. Is if we believe in a God who is so unchanging. A God who is so great and so good. That he remains. Even as life drifts away from our hands. In verse number two, the psalmist reminds me that to know God, we must rest upon what we have seen of him in the past. He comes and he says, I remember a day when my enemies and my foes came upon me to devour me. But before they even got to me, they stumbled and fell. How often, dear believer, have we worried about something But God has stayed its force. And before it even reached our hearts and our lives, he stops it. And he preserves us. And he reminds us, no, I I am the one who upholds you. But then he has an anticipation for the future. And he says, though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though a war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. If you would desire to know God, you will face enemies. In fact, I would suggest that if you are serious about knowing God, you will face more enemies than what normal Christianity would even go through. There is the enemy of the devil who is absolutely intimidated by a person who can pray. There is the enemy of the world that throws us off as an outcast and an oddity because we know God. There is the enemy of our flesh that will come at us and will do everything it can to hinder us from spending time in the disciplined presence of God. 
I would even venture to say that some of our greatest enemies will be within the Christian community itself. You know why? Because in popular Christianity, we have a norm that has been set that has such a base view of God and such a low priority on knowing him, really, that we may be tempted to think that normal Christianity, spiritual Christianity, is fulfilling my 15 minutes a day in prayer, fulfilling my reading plan, and away I go, I go to the assembly meeting, so I must be all right. No. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And if we are gaining our standard of what Christian living is from our Christian peers, we will not know God. And we will even have to face the difficulty of being awed among certain Christians even. I'm not separating believers into classes. I'm telling you the truth, even from my own experience. If you know God personally, you will never be able to explain that to another individual. And so you must be prepared to be alone in your knowledge of God. And even believers will misunderstand. I say that humbly and I just say that for your awareness. Because if we would know God, if we would know God to be the unique God that he is, then he must remind us that we are nothing. That is why we must know God through suffering. Because if God is who he is, we only experience his fullness when we are absolutely nothing before him. Don't fear to know God through suffering. I read a sermon a couple weeks ago of a man who had just lost his wife. He was a pastor. And he preached a sermon soon after And he said, you know, I don't understand why people reject their faith when the fire comes. Haven't you lost enough already without losing God? He says, you may believe in God. You may have faith, he says to his audience. We who have been at that door of absolute suffering, we must have faith. That is why. And then he reminds us of that story in Pilgrim's Progress. And I was so touched when he said this. He says, like hopeful in that Pilgrim's Progress, I look back to my audience and he says, don't fear. As hopeful as crossing that tremendous river, the river of death. He, he looks back at the people behind him and he says, don't fear. I have felt the bottom and it's sound. It's sound. And so this man who loses his wife, he reminds us, I've felt the bottom and I can assure you that it's sound. God has proven himself to be everything. That is why we must know God through suffering. I learned secondly that we must know God in the sanctuary. One thing have I desired of the Lord. 
If you would know God, if I would know God, it is only because of this. That we have truly determined in our lives that we do not have any other goal as the first on our list than to know him. One thing have I desired. One thing. The path to knowing God only comes when our greatest grief and our greatest burden is that we do not know him as we ought. One thing have I desired of the Lord. It is a supreme desire. It is a supreme pursuit. That will I seek after. As if to say, even with the various callings and circumstances of my life, everything revolves around my advancing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I wonder, do we try to fit God into our schedules? Or do we modify our schedules to know God? What is it to dwell in the sanctuary of God? What was it that David so pursued? He says, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. I love these words. To behold the beauty of the Lord. Isn't that a high calling? To behold the beauty of the Lord. I see six things here of what it means to dwell in the sanctuary of God. I see first of all that to dwell in his sanctuary means I be there every single day. My single desire is that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. There is no knowledge of God where there are not spiritual habits. Every single day. In Psalm 119, he says around verses 146 and 147, he says, I prevented the dawning so that I may seek you, your word. He says, my eyes wait for the night watches. The first thing he thought about when he woke up in the morning was, how can I see the beauty of the Lord? The first thing he thought about when he went to sleep at night was, how can I go into my night contemplating God? When you bracket your sleep and your day with the knowledge of God, then everything you are revolves around that. It works. It works. Every morning, every evening, every day. To dwell in the sanctuary of God is to behold his beauty. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Do you love the scriptures? Do you love the scriptures? I mean, I mean, love them. <laughs> like you're excited to read your Bible. You're excited because it's not simply pages that you must understand, but 
but you're actually brought into the presence of God through the pages. That you can actually see him. To behold the beauty of the Lord every day. To worship. To make it a priority, not even to request from him just yet. But just to revel in this fact that. Ah, I know who God is. I am dwelling in his presence. Thirdly, it prays to inquire in his temple. To inquire in his temple. Inquiring not only means we request that he answer our prayers, but we're, we're inquiring, we're meditating, trying to just see one more aspect of his attributes, trying to see one more aspect of the glory of Christ. Lord, who are you? That's what time in the presence of God is about, to pray. Consider the prayer life of Christ. Do you remember what it says? I believe it's Luke 13. No, not Luke 13. Maybe Luke 7. It says, And Jesus was praying. But when he was finished, the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They were so impressed at seeing their master pray. They had to just let him pray. Don't disturb the master when he speaks to his God. A profound thing. And so the Lord from experience teaches them how to pray and he says, You be bold, but you just remember that God is so kind and that he will answer your prayers. Number four, to dwell in the sanctuary of God means that we rest in the time of trouble he will hide me in his dwelling. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall lift me up upon a rock. Stable ground. Stable ground is in the presence of God. To dwell in his sanctuary is to be rejuvenated. So he says, and now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies. He was confident to face the day. Because he knew God was with him. You know, if we ever want revival where we feel the power of God in our midst, oh, that God would grant that we would feel the revival starting, not in our midst, but in our hearts. Revival starts with me, revival starts with you. Revival starts. When you learn to pray like you have never prayed before. I wonder if I could ask a couple questions. And I have asked these to my heart. When was the last time that you physically trembled in God's presence? Physically trembled. In God's presence. When was the last time you pleaded with God and you saw Him answer your prayer definitively? 
When was the last time when was the last time you spent more than two hours in prayer? When was the last time you spent long hours into the night pleading with God that he would manifest himself among us? When have you last prayed long into the night when everybody else is sleeping, when everybody else has no clue what you are experiencing with your God? Praying. Praying. I must emphasize, though, it is a secret place. You cannot know God with your peers. We rejoice in the measure that we know God together, but you cannot have the sanctuary of God apart from being alone in your closet. And you will not know God by reading books about knowing God. You will not know God by listening to sermons about knowing God. You want to know how you know God? You blaze your own trail in the sanctuary, and you test the limits of what God will give to you in seeking his face. That's how you know God. It's a personal thing. It's a personal thing. We must know God, thirdly, by seeking When you said, seek my face, as if David was just yearning for this moment, he says, my heart said unto thee, oh, Lord, your face I will seek. Yes, <laughs> what a wonderful life. Yes, Lord, I will seek your face. But he says in verse number nine, Lord, do not hide your face from me. Do not. Let me suggest to you that if you desire to know God beyond what you have ever known him before, you will face fierce opposition. And in fact, I would say you will even face a withholding from God himself. For this reason, God is going to test you. Is this your supreme desire so that you plead with him till the day you die, that you would know him? So God will withhold so that he can see where is your heart. And so that the words of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, you will seek me and you will find me only when you search for me with your whole heart. God will withhold himself temporarily, but dear believer, remember this. The psalmist is pleading with his God, Lord, I'm seeking you. I'm responding to the call. Show me your face. Don't hide your face from me. If you want to know God, you better plead with him that he show you his face. Do you want something to do with your afternoon? <laughs> Hide not your face from me. When my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. Dear believer, remember this, that even though there will be that temporary struggle, God will come through in the end. He will. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And so lastly, in verses 11 to 14, I see that we must know God in submission. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, a level path, because of mine enemies. If we want to gauge our knowledge of God, we will gauge it by obedience. Obedience that does not make a double standard for itself. 
but obedience that is contrite for the sin of the past. Obedience that leaves that sin at the foot of the cross and obedience that goes on in the crucified life where our greatest grief is the wickedness that draws us away from God and our greatest joy is to do what pleases him. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so he says, wait for the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will walk and not be weary. They will run and not faint. Waiting is not inactive. Waiting is not wasted time. Waiting is time to know God. We must know him in submission to his will, to his word, to his timing. Because our greatest life is not not what we can get in this life, but what we can get of God. Strengthen your heart, dear believer. Wait on the Lord in his presence. He will come through. I want to close just by quoting words from the book of Hosea. Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. You know what a revival prayer looks like? It's in chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day so that we might live before him. So let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain like the spring rain watering the earth. God says, I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifices and in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord, shall we? Our dear, dear God who is so gracious and kind. You have shown us that you are for us. You have shown us that you are the eternal God. You are who you are. And that suffices us. Grant that we would let you be God. But our Father, revive us, revive this community, revive your assemblies, revive your people across the world with the knowledge of God. Grant that we may 
go forth to know the Lord. Grant that this message would not be in vain, our Father. Grant that every individual would search their hearts and grant that I would search mine. That we would all together grow as an assembly that knows God, that learns to spend those hours in his presence every day, that learns our Father to rejoice in your presence and in your word. Show us your face, our Father. Show us your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Sustain your people. Drive us all in our hearts and in our deepest conviction to know you. Be our sufficiency because you, O Lord, are beautiful. You are majestic in every way. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.